Hello and welcome to another episode. Today we start with a topic. New NVIDIA tech enables real-time AI NPCs to understand and speak with players. What do you think about NVIDIA's new concept where you can talk to NPCs however you want because of AI? I don't think that's an NVIDIA thing. I've seen people make videos where you can just talk to NPCs. Like I saw one a person made for Skyrim. It was another person who was making one for a new game that was coming out. Hi Alex, what's your name? Hey, it's Alex. What brings you here? Two clicks, Philip. I hope there is nothing serious going on. Oh, nothing to worry about. Just a nuclear meltdown. What? A nuclear meltdown? Are you kidding me? Is that why there was an explosion at the Synthetic Life Laboratory? Please tell me you are joking. I'm not joking, Alex, but I'm sure it's nothing. I am sure that everything is under control, probably. One problem they have is that it takes a while for the machine to process and respond. So you might sit there for like five to eight seconds before it begins speaking to you. Although that just improves with time, right? From my understanding, the, the AI is just given the background information for the character, some information about the game, and it can say whatever it wants. What do I think of the concept in gaming? It would need to be for particular types of games. Once upon a time in gaming, you used to have to go up to NPCs and like, go through their text boxes and speak to them as like a normal character would to find the information that you wanted and then figure out where to go for the next quest and then go there. But that's something that's dead in gaming. That's not something that people are releasing. It's too much of a barrier for people who just want to play the game. People get frustrated and quit. And you can imagine if you had an NPC that wasn't specifically programmed to give certain information, people would begin talking to it and would be there for half an hour being like, just, just tell me the information that I need, please and they just frustrate people. It's cool that we have different experiences with games, but you still want some of that to be shared, right? As in, if you talk to an NPC and it says its favorite color is blue, and you know it's just an AI generating random stuff, is that meaningful information? If it doesn't impact gameplay and it's just text generated stuff, who cares about it, right? And if someone else's playthrough, that same character's like, oh, my favorite character's orange, like who wins out there? As I say, it, it's something that could definitely improve gaming and could be very interesting, but I'd much rather like writers be using AI for ideas and they can then pick and choose the ones that matter and, and put that information into the NPC rather than every NPC just being a glorified chatbot. <laughs> Cause I mean, you can right now go and speak to ChatGPT for as long as you want and you can give it background information and talk to it and make it consider itself a character in a game. Is that, would that be fun? Definitely an interesting concept. As I say, it's just gonna depend on how it's implemented as to whether I probably enjoy it. GTA 5 Hangouts would be interesting with it, I think. But why? The main thing that's interesting about the Hangouts in GTA 5 is that you get more information about who the character actually is. But if it's just an AI model generating responses that it thinks you want to hear, that's not canon law, right? For random encounters, NPCs that don't matter to the story at all, or like, for example, when we're playing GTA Online, and they yell all the time, not Menendez. Like you could totally see how an AI could just be told, hey, whenever a character is shot or something, generate some response that makes sense for the given moments. Guys, I'm going down. And, and so you don't have to have all those responses recorded, like the AI will do it. But like that, I could see how it could change things. So you're not listening to the same dialogue over and over and over again. We'll see. But I mean, yeah, like the not Menendez line became a meme because it was so repeated. It would suck to lose that, but I do think more varied lines would be better. The futility of online discourse on reaction content. Basically, there's this response video that I've been meaning to make for a long time. But the video I'm responding to is fairly old. 
So I, I didn't feel like I was in any kind of a rush. It's now been like, how many months has it been? Like a couple of months now, reflecting on what I want to say in this video. And I'm kind of tired of waiting, but my original plan was to build out a green screen room and add sound treatment to it specifically for this video. And I've done all that now. See, I've got like a green screen here and uh, I've got a camera and these lights and uh, sound treatment. This has actually been improved a bit. These are actually on stands now, like actual stands from Elgato now. Okay, it's just a wall and that's the other thing. There's actually now on the carpet, a green screen rug as well. The lavalier mic that I wanted to get and I purchased has been delayed and it's already been so long. And I realized that I need to stop pretending like this actually matters. As we learned from my previous response videos, the sort of people to get taken in by bullshit are not the sort of people who will watch and take in a response video, right? People just exist in their own little bubbles and uh, are not necessarily sitting there critically analyzing everything that a YouTuber is saying. They're just sitting there trying to vibe and, and enjoy their day. And if you say to them, hey, like everything you just heard was bullshit, they're gonna be like, ah, look, I don't fucking care, man. I gotta go back to work. Leave me alone. Like if I make this response video, you'll get like 100, maybe 150,000 views tops. The original video has like 300,000 views. And the crossover between these two groups of people who watch my response video and the original video will be almost nothing. So why am I doing it? A part of it is just because I think it'll be really, really funny. Some of the mistakes and reasoning are like, I, I had to stop the video to like, let it sink in that someone could actually be that stupid. But I guess maybe a part of me still wants to believe that it actually matters. Like putting the truth out there actually has a measurable impact on the world. But as I get, go on in life, I less and less believe that's true. If you look at the landscape of content on any social media platform, there are people portraying every side of every issue with some level of success, right? You can get success regardless of what you're peddling, right? It's less how true or how substantiated what you're saying is and more whether uh, the narrative that you're presenting vibes with an audience. And regardless of your affiliation on any issue, you'll probably think that of the other people. Obviously, there's not always a distinct two sides, but you'll think that way of people who don't agree with you. Like, oh man, they've just been taken in by them false narrative, by them grifters. My impression of the value of online discourse has done nothing but decline over the years. But watching people peddle information about myself and my views that I know for a fact is false just brings into, into focus my already existent negative views of such a space and, and such discourse. Like, I know you guys don't care. You're just spamming that I'm wearing a shirt and I, 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 I know, I know. None of this matters. It never matters. So I'm going to stop bullshitting about trying to make this a special video or something with a green screen and shit. I'm just going to make the response video and move on with my day, knowing that none of it really truly matters. I'll stop having this uh, thoughts about what I'm going to say bog me down of a day and uh, I'll just do it and not wait for this goddamn uh, lavalier mic. Would the response video be in the Ramble channel? No, I'll put up my main channel because it's still related to that reaction content stuff from a long time ago. When I heard the video existed, I suspected that I would just be like, well, it was so long ago, who cares now, right? But watching it, it's hard for me to believe anyone could legitimately be that stupid or dishonest or arrogant. Like the video is like as if powered by like a negative Triforce or something. It's staggering. Like it's the sort of video that if I was still in uni, I would be pushing it somehow into every essay that I'd be writing because it's, it's very fascinating. If you have any interest in philosophy or psychology, it, it'll be a great video, but I don't think there's a big audience for it. As I say, most people are like, look, great. Some random person on the internet misrepresented you to hundreds of thousands of people. Like I gotta go back to work, who cares? I'm just really tired, not sleeping well, probably not the best spot to make this video anyway, but I need to get it done. I spent the day working on my response video. 
apparently a 55 minutes long. Hopefully, we can keep it under an hour. It's a uh, good. But definitely add another like half an hour footage to it. And I'm not sure how many people are going to get to the end or watch most of it. I, I'm very bad at making interesting response videos. It's one of the problems where if you're being analytical and explaining things well and going through arguments and stuff, it can get kind of dull compared to people who are just dumb and so can just outlandishly say things and not realize the flaws in what they're saying. So I don't feel it necessary to stop and to like cover those weaknesses. The ability just to make bold claims confidently makes for a more interesting video. Is speedrunning content dying? So I saw ZFG tweet this out. ZFG, for those who don't know, is a legendary speedrunner for Zelda Ocarina of Time. It's weird how much lower GDQ viewership is now versus what it used to be, even though Twitch viewership grew a lot in 2020. Well, I didn't explain it on the day, GDQ is games done quick. It's an event that's held twice a year that raises money for charity by having a bunch of speedrunners speedrun their various games. It has long been the biggest speedrunning events. First pick is SGDQ 2023. So the number's going like peaking here at 67, averaging like 45,000. And back here in 2020, it was up to like 150,000, probably averaging like 125,000 or something. Oh, this is comparing 2019. So this was even before pandemic, it was getting these kind of numbers. And for me at least, I think speedrunning is less special compared to what it once was. Like when I was starting out in speedrunning, Speedrunning felt new and interesting and not everything was being speedrun. There weren't a lot of big time speedrunning content creators and there was a lot more prestige around GDQ. So all the big time big creators were going. But obviously with every single one that comes out, it's like less special because there's like another one. Like if you want to see speedrunning content now, you go onto YouTube and there's 87 videos of speedruns. I think speedrunning has already reached its peak and it's just kind of downhill from here as a concept. Like speedrunning for particular games can still blow up or peak, especially new games, right? But the idea of speedrunning being this brand new amazing thing, I think that's long past. And also GDQ, obviously they've done a lot of things that appeal to their community of people who watch, right? They're not necessarily trying to make it as broadly appealing as possible. For endless years, everyone's always having issues with uh, different decisions that GDQ makes. And that's their business, right? It's a private event. They can do whatever they want. I'm not making a judgment there. I'm only talking about if you want something to be as broadly appealing as possible, you have to avoid potentially pushing away people, even if they're people that you don't necessarily want watching you anyway, right? Like to have the biggest numbers possible, you need to be as broadly appealing as possible. And I don't think GDQ is there anymore. And I would also say that I think the rise of challenge runs in general has somewhat taken the wind out the sails of speedrunning, right? Where it's beating something as fast as possible is still very cool, but it's now merely one type of challenge run amongst a sea of different challenge runs that exist that can all be very appealing. There was an element of trust before in speedrunning. I feel like so many now are exposed as cheated somehow. I don't think that the existence of cheaters has truly impacted the growth, success, and popularity of speedrunning. Maybe it has for some people, I don't know, but I don't think that's likely a significant factor. And certainly there was a time where not everyone knew what speedrunning was, but speedrunning is super mainstream now. There's just less people, new people for GDQ to capture. Along with that, there's just a lot more competition for live streams as well. Yeah, so what I'm saying is this decline doesn't surprise me at all. And I wouldn't even say the majority of the decline has anything to do with GDQ and more just the market for this kind of content. And just so the natural decline that anything has, if you do it over and over and over and over and over again. Like, I don't think my Chaos Mod runs are any worse than they've ever been. But if you do it 90, 100 plus times, 
it's gonna be a little bit less special each time. I feel like documentaries about speedruns are more special than the speedruns themselves. I mean, that can be very much so new content. It can tell you things that you don't know, and yeah, they, they're often produced very well. My first cinema experience in years, watching Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Speaking of going places, yesterday, for the first time in quite a long time, quite a few years, I think, I went to the cinemas to see the latest Spider-Man movie. Across the Spider-Verse, that's it. I went to what they call gold class. I don't know if you have that in your countries, but it's like you pay extra for the ticket, but you get like a larger seat and it's a recliner. And all the chairs in the cinema were like completely fucked up. Cause the chairs are some sort of fake leather or whatever, which is not necessarily as durable as like just normal cushions and shows wear and tear better. It's more luxurious, but over like, I know the decade those chairs that have been there, they are all fucked up. And the reclining is like, Hit or miss, like maybe 50% of the chairs still have their reclining capabilities. Fortunately, because I went in the middle of the day, there was only like four people in the cinema with me. So I checked my ticket, I sat down in my seat, and then I tried the reclining, didn't work. Tried the one next to me, didn't work. Tried another one a little bit further away and it worked. I'm like, well, okay, this is my seat now. <laughs> you know what cost me though? For the ticket, popcorn, and two drinks, because I accidentally got a normal Coke and I was like, screw it, I'll get a frozen Coke as well. 50 bucks, the movie experience. That's AUD, so probably like 40 USD. I'm not sure if that's good pricing or not, but that sounds a uh, little bit pricey. <laughs> they do price gouge you for the so-called gold class experience. Because there's like a little bar before it where you can get like alcohol and stuff. It's meant to be a bit more of a little bit of an event, but I didn't get any alcohol, I wasn't interested. Oh, and it was on Tuesday as well. Maybe it was cheaper because it was Tuesday, I'm not sure. But the movie, the new Spider-Man movie was pretty good. I was tired going into the cinema already because my sleeping pattern's a bit screwed, but only like once or twice during the movie, I was like, can we, can we speed this up a little bit? The two and a half hours or whatever flew by pretty well. I don't think the movie lagged all that much. With that being said though, for those who don't know, it is part one of a movie and that I felt a lot. It set up a lot of stuff. There was some bits of action, certainly, but a lot of the content was focused around like the family dynamic between the characters and the, like the relationships and stuff. And that was less interesting to me than the multi-dimensional travel and the, the villain and like the, the powers and stuff. Not a lot of that was focused on. Like I'm surprised this movie is being reviewed as highly as it is, because it's a good movie, told well, but it's not that great. It's like an eight out of 10 movie, except the visuals. Visuals were very interesting all the way throughout. Very stylized, very cool. But for me, like, I remember thinking, this movie is about to get really, really good. And then like 10 minutes, it ended. There is a part two to this movie that's gonna come out. It's gonna be so amazing. But this part one is just like the entree before the main course. Part two comes out in March, ah, oh, so long away. A single sneeze drained all my energy. So I went to bed at like, 5 p.m. yesterday and like you beauty i'm gonna wake up like the next day gonna get like eight hours wake up like 1 2 a.m give me sweet and i uh, woke up at like 10 30 and uh five and a half hours sleep not enough sleep but despite that i felt like i had a decent amount of energy i was like yeah i'm gonna go play some uh some some good video games and stuff but uh then i sneezed and my body was like no you're not doing anything productive today you're gonna feel like shit today i'm like oh damn <laughs> one sneeze was all it took for my body just to be like so that's how I'm feeling. How are you guys feeling? My Pizza Hut birthday tradition. So I just saw this on Reddit. My local Pizza Hut hasn't changed since the 80s. I don't know when we stopped the tradition, but for most of my early life, maybe even into my 20s, on my birthday, every year, I would go with my family 
to an all-you-can-eat Pizza Hut. I don't think of Eastern to my 20s. Maybe for the first, like, two decades of my life, this is what we did. But the dine-in Pizza Huts have largely closed down. Like, they were probably huge in the 90s, right? But currently, as far as I'm aware, there's like 10 left in all of Australia. Here's someone in chat. Or you can eat pizza in Australia. Where? You can't see the whole restaurant, but this is like a salad bar. And you can have as much salad as you want. There's just fruit and vegetables and stuff. And over the side here, they just bring out fresh pieces. Like the nanosecond they come out of the oven, they're there. They don't have to wait the 10, 15 minutes for delivery. It's just on the side there. And you grab as much and eat as much as you want. I loved that as a kid. And I haven't been to one of these in... Who knows, 10 years or something. But there actually is one within driving distance from me. So I'm, I think I'm gonna go when I get the chance. But you can obviously see why they closed down because there's obviously less demand for it. And you need more lands to have a building like this compared to just having a delivery service. Pizza vlog part two, oh, that'd be so good. But see, if I had someone with me who could record me, I would totally do that. Recording yourself is just weird. Maybe one day TG will be down in Sydney and we can go. The best part of being a content creator. I was gonna go out yesterday, or was it the day before? One of the two, to go do a bunch of shopping and stuff. Then I looked at the day and realized it was Saturday, and I was like, nah, not gonna do that now. <laughs> One of the biggest upsides of this job is I can go places, go to stores and stuff at like 11 a.m. in the middle of the week. So no one will be there. Don't have to be in the traffic, don't have to wait for some customer service rep talking to someone else, I can just go, and there's effectively no one there. And of course there's some people around, they're businesses, right? It's just obviously a lot of people try to get stuff done on the weekends, and people are just more out and about. Answering your most interesting questions submitted on my Discord. What happens to your media share videos? And if you deleted them, is there a chance that these videos might come back on YouTube? So eons ago, when I was learning some GTA 5 speedrunning stuff, one thing I had to accompany me while I was doing that was clips that viewers could play on stream. And so a long time later, these were edited down to being the more important, impactful stuff. You could almost in some way think of it as the Reddit recap before the Reddit recap, but maybe only like 50% of what's in these videos actually relates to me in, in regards to clips. But there was quite a few episodes that ended up being 12. I took them down because even at the time, I considered it to be very borderline on what I considered to be acceptable in regards to using other people's content. Because these are just clips. The clips themselves are not the entire original work. In many cases, they're not what I would consider to be creative works. They're just kid falls down, haha, sort of stuff. But it wasn't as though I was using the clips in a creative way to make something original and unique. In the way that, like, as a part of Pacifist, I might use a clip of a meme to make something funny. Whereas during these streams, the clips were just playing. So there's a big distinction there. When it comes to the use of clips from larger works or small memes and stuff. I don't talk that much about where I think the line is between being creative and just making lazy garbage because I think the line is very gray. But at the end of the day, these videos are creative. They're edited very well, jokes and memes added and stuff, but the streams that they came from are not something that I probably support now. While emotionally, I would have no problem releasing these videos to the public again, I know for a fact that disingenuous people would criticize me for them. In the same way that Charlie lied and claimed I was a huge reactor because of the existence of these videos. Whenever you take a stance on something, it enables people to look at anything that is anywhere close to your borderline and criticize you for them. And so releasing these things will just enable 
disingenuous people to have ammunition against me. And I don't think the entertainment value that people get from them is worth giving me that vulnerability. So will they ever be released? I doubt it. I would have to reach a point where I just truly do not care about what other people say, and I doubt that's ever gonna happen. Is there any reason that some of your alternate game playthroughs are released as a single long video instead of split into smaller chunks? The recent Hitman video would be an example. I just think it's a better viewer experience for everything to perfectly mesh together rather than just having like random filler intros and stuff to split something up that is ultimately one huge package. I just think it's very messy on a channel to have part one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, I just think the product ends up being better and it doesn't benefit from being split multiple times. Would there be some benefit algorithmically for it to be split multiple times? I don't know. It doesn't seem as though the Let's Play model is doing particularly well these days, but obviously these wouldn't be Let's Plays necessarily, they'd be edited chunks. But even then, like, I just don't like it. I don't like that format. Yeah, the VOD channel is a huge deviation from what I'm normally comfortable with. And the VOD channel largely came about because I realized that some people do prefer just the whole thing being shown. And I recognize that I'm not going to be here forever. And so I kind of like that the things that I've done will be watchable, you know, potentially for years to come. If there are people who still want to see that after all those years. I do consider it to be a worse product though. And I don't think that's debatable. Were you as eloquent before your pursuit of psychology and literature in school? Or was your impressive vocabulary, linguistic capabilities always with you growing up? I don't consider myself to be particularly eloquent. I can barely speak a sentence without stumbling over my words and whatnot. Do I potentially have a larger vocabulary than the average person? Yes, I think that is possible, but that might be because I spent most of my time growing up reading books. I go through like a book every two weeks, usually fantasy novels. And even though they're fiction, obviously it contains a huge variety of uh, different concepts and words. And, and it also makes you think about the world and potentially has informed my ideas of the world and my morality and stuff. But then like, during my late teens, my early 20s, I was very interested in philosophy. And those conversations, obviously, they contain a lot of esoteric language. And so you pick up a handful of things. What I'm trying to say is your vocabulary is just developed over life, or like all your experiences. So I'm sure I picked some things up in my university course. I, I picked some things up before that as well. But yeah, I think you're overstating my abilities to some degree. I have absolutely nothing to say in this outro, but I would appreciate if you press the like and subscribe button anyway. I wish you all the best.